Welcome to the BAM Biz Talk Podcast. Here today, my name is Angel Garcia with Michael Crane. We are BAM, and our guest for the day is Mr. Cody Reeves, multi-business owner, owner of the Eskimo Hut in Midland, co-owner of the Blue Door, and owner of New Angle Capital. Wow, that's already, I'm already tired, man. (laughs) How are you doing today, Cody? Great. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. So tell us, you know, you you have a lot going on. You know, and it's uh, very interesting to us because, you know, we work with entrepreneurs every day. So you're, you know, we want to put your picture up on a plaque and say, entrepreneur, <laughs> that's what that is. You know, so kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and how you how you got involved in putting together these companies. OK, um, you know, I grew up in Midland, Texas and went off to college, came back home after college, did a little work uh, in the service industry. I uh, was with Outback Steakhouse for several years. Uh, moved up through management with them. And then when I found it was time to leave, I wanted to, I wanted to be on my own. I, I liked being my own boss. I uh, liked being a manage, in management um, and felt I could run a business pretty successfully. Um, found the Eskimo Hut franchise at the time and decided to bring that back to Midland. Uh, so I moved back home and opened the Eskimo Hut in uh, 2002. Uh, so it's been a little over, well, almost wow. 21 years now. Awesome. Um, so, Congratulations uh, on that. Yeah, that really. was a stint. Well, thank you. Um, been, a, been a lot of fun. I opened a second location in Odessa um, later that same year. Uh, had that open for about 14 years. Um, so that was a lot of fun as well. Um, and then it just stopped making money in Odessa, and I closed that one down. Hmm. Um, but then um, I guess, you know, being in the service industry um, brought, um, you know, Eskimo Hut, is a service industry type job. You know, we, we walk out to your car, we take your order, we make your drinks, we bring them to you. Uh, or, you know, we bring you your six pack of beer or, you know, your soda, whatever you would like. Your smokes. Um, right. Yeah. And absolutely. Used to sell tons of tobacco and, you know, we had to pivot off of that. But, um, you know, and then uh, 2011 came along and we started seeing um, just different bars in different cities. Traveled a lot, um, you know, in the early 2000s and saw really nice bars in other cities and always just had heard, you know, Midland's kind of 10 years behind on everything. And we said, you know what? Midland needs a nice, good, non-smoking bar in town. And then started putting plans together. And in 2012, we opened the Blue Door. um, And it was the first non-smoking bar in Midland, Texas. And one of my favorites. (laughs) There you go. So crazy enough for us to be non-smoking at the time. But, uh, I mean, even had one investor back out because he said a Mm non-smoking bar would never work in Midland, Texas. uh, Well, you're forgetting about the 10-year lag there. Right, exactly, (laughs) right? So uh, turned out it was a a great great investment, a great... um, Great business to open, and we found our niche and, and really just kind of took off with that. And uh, that's been going on for, well, since 2012. So uh, we're wow. into our 11th year at this point. So wow. we won't hit that until the summer, but yeah. uh, it's been pretty successful there. So um, and then New Angle Capital, I started um, end of 2021 or 
Yeah, into 2021. And uh, so I've had that just about a year and a half now. And uh, just really, that is uh, all about helping other businesses go out and find money for their businesses. Um, a lot of times, businesses need money quickly. Sometimes they need money that maybe their credit score is not the best, and they just are, they need an equity investor. And um, I've, I've aligned myself with about 42 different lenders that help businesses uh, move quickly. You know, sometimes you go to the bank and you want to get a loan and they, you know, you'll spend three or four months waiting to get an answer on whether yeah, or not it's yeah. a yes or no. 90 so, days later. Right. Yeah. And it's a no and you've wasted all the time. So a lot of my lenders can move quickly. They'll tell you, they'll tell you yes or no. Sometimes it's no quickly, but at least, you know, and you're not waiting around. Right. right. Um, and then sometimes they can have you funded in sometimes two weeks, sometimes, you know, a month, you know, from doing the initial, depending on how big of a, a loan and the type of loan that it is. So. So is is that for already business existing business or do you do deal with startups as well or both uh, okay. both startups both well and and uh, existing businesses who just need maybe they would need working capital or expansion or maybe they need new equipment uh, maybe they just got a big order uh, and they need you know new chemicals or new um, equipment, in, yeah, yeah. new equipment, new ingredients to make whatever they need to sell, you know, and they get a big purchase order and they don't have the capital to go buy the things they need to make the thing they make, you know, right, so right. that really helps. So. And capturing on that opportunity in the market. So that's mm -hmm. really important that there's somebody like you available. Right. Uh, I don't mind saying, uh, maybe we could use you for a few of ours. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, I see a lot of different businesses come through here, to be honest. I see uh, the startup, snow cone kind of guy, and uh, my God, oil companies or supply companies are just starting off. Um, a wide variety of things that uh, I know there's ups and downs in every business. Um, and I know that your startups have had to maybe uh, come across some sort of barricades that you had to get around. Uh, and some of those can be quite stressful. Sure. Um, you mentioned getting to market quickly. Um, I think it's really, uh, really important as well because if you've got a niche or something, you want to get it out, get it out there before maybe somebody else comes along and takes your idea. Right. You know, what are some of your barricades that you had to go through with some of your businesses? You know, um, I think when you first start a business and you're learning. You kind of you're kind of learning what your strengths are, right? right. And you, you you probably know one or two of them. You know, a, a great chef may open a restaurant, and um, he's a great chef. But running a business is not being a chef, you know. And those are those are different things. So, um, you know, with the Eskimo, I'd open that up. Um, I was actually pretty good at the time of working with younger staff and teaching them how to have a job. I remember plenty of times having to teach someone how to sweep which sounds ridiculous, right? You should, right? Everybody learns to sweep a floor when they're growing up, but no, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so, so some of those things, you know, I mean, I felt I was pretty good at those, but then there were other things that um, I'm not, I wasn't great at. I'm still not great at, you know, I'm not great at marketing, but figuring out what those things are, um, finding the right people to help you with that so you yeah. can get it done properly because uh, we all have our own set of strengths, but very few of us have, um, multiple strengths and can do everything well. So that's um, very, really, that's very yeah. true. So it's, um, it's fine. I think finding those out, you know, with the Eskimo hut, um, you know, by working with vendors was a challenge at first, you know, cause they didn't want to just, they hear of all these places that are, are going to open up and then they, you know, they buy a few things and they don't sell much, you know, and then you, you have to convince them that you know what you're doing and you're willing to 
to buy the product from them and to, to move the product. They don't want to just sell it to somebody and let it sit there for six months. Right. So, uh, you know, whether it's Budweiser or Marlboro or, or whatever product it was. They, they need so, a turning. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So and you need a turning. Right. Absolutely. As absolutely. a business owner, so. you got to, it's, it's a mutual kind of deal, right? Right. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, when the blue door opened up, um, one of my biggest challenges in the first uh, probably six weeks was um, I was out talking to customers all the time and after about six weeks, I was like, I need to step back and not talk to customers for a while because everybody just kept telling me what I should change about my bar. <laughs> and they were like, you need more TVs. You need a pool table over here. And, I, and I, I was like, I was at a point, I was like, that's a really cool idea for your bar. That's not what this bar is. And that's right. okay. You Let know? me know I'm when like, you yeah, got that going. Yeah. I go visit. I'm like, but it was like, I had, to, I had to figure out, hey, I need to step back because it was like, it was frustrating, you know, people. And, and some of those people are still our great customers, you know, and some of them went to find that other bar and that's okay, you know. So um, th that was kind of a struggle for me in the beginning. And um, finding the right people to, to run it was um, pretty crucial. I think we've, yeah. we've, yeah. I think we've narrowed that down and... Um, you know, my partner, Erica, the blue door, um, she takes care of the staffing and trains them. And I think our average bartender stays for over two years, um, wow, in the bar industry. That's, that's really good. Yeah. That's really good here in Midland. Of, yeah. So <laughs> I think most bar industries are six months, yeah. you know, so, but yeah. uh, just happy, happy to, happy to have found those certain niches that keep it, keep it working. So, you know, so just talking about the employments that, you know, the, right. the workforce, you know, cause I know that's, that's the big Right. Issue here in the Permian. Right. Right. It's a finding labor that you can depend on. It's going to be there. They're not going to call, you know, right. like all the issues. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you deal? How do you deal with that? How do you keep? You know, I think it's important that we also always listen to our staff, um, listen to what their needs are, what their concerns are, um, I, and, and work, help them work through those things, right? right. Um, and the other thing is, and, and this is one of the biggest things I've tried to focus on, is setting clear expectations and communicating those to your staff. Because if they know exactly what you need out of them, they're going to do it. People inherently want to be a good person. They right. want to do a good job for you. Um, I, I think it's very important to, to set those clear expectations, tell them when they're doing right, tell them when they're doing wrong. It's not a, an attack on their character. It's just an, it's, it's something like, Hey, this is the action that you're doing. That's not right. Mm -hmm. Let's fix that. I mean, you're still a great person. Let's, right. you just did the wrong thing. Now, you know, right. let's move on, you know? So right. I think those things are really important with staffing. Um, and then, being consistent with everybody, you know, not letting one person get away with something that you won't yeah. let anybody, somebody else get away with it. Yeah. I think that kind of consistency is really important. And it lets the staff know that they're all equal. Mm -hmm. They all are valued and they all, because of that, they continue to stay with you for a while. So I agree with that a hundred percent. I do too. And I think it, it's the culture that you're trying to build culture yeah. um, that really makes it successful. Right. So you, you, but you just put out two key points. One is to communicate. Right. And the other is to make sure that you have a plan. Uh, both of those are extremely important to, to drive success. Right. So I think that's really a big problem, even in a lot of different businesses here. We don't communicate with staff. They don't know what to expect. Uh, they get frustrated. Um, before you know it, they're out there looking for another job, another opportunity, as, some, as, as many of them would say. Um, you know, and it's really about not knowing what you want or expect from me. Right. Uh, and I come to work every day, and I don't know really what I'm supposed to do. So uh, a lot of that is, uh, you know, a pick up and leave, see you later kind of 
kind of out, out, outburst. So uh, you're still developing the idea of how do I make something possible? I know a lot of companies right now are doing onboarding. Right. Where they actually have put together documents <clears throat> that you read and acknowledge the expectations of the establishment and the direction maybe as to how you can go from one level to another level um, and the expectation maybe of what, uh, what your reviews may look like. Uh, and typically what we're expecting is really a part of that review. Um, I think those are really good things even for a small business. Everybody's got the same idea, the same page, and the same direction. Right. Um, what's your thoughts, Angel? No, I, I, I like that. So it's about culture. It's about establishing, you said it earlier, expectations. Right. right. So if you can establish those expectations in a formal manner, you know, communicate it clearly, uh, both in, th- in document form and just in personal discussion, you know, to, to set those, st- what you expect and what they should expect from you. Right. You know, and it's keep that consistent. And yeah, I think you, you, if you get the people in there, you can keep them for longer. Right. You know, I think that's what happened is happening with you uh, with the, the blue door with right. two plus years, you know, right. that's, that's impressive. You know? right. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's, we're very happy with it. And we'll just continue to, to move along that same path, I think. And, uh, and the culture always changes at some point. Right. I mean, yeah. so you have to kind of adapt and pivot with that as well. And, um, and, but I mean, it's not hard to sit down and figure out what your culture is. So. Right. Your internal culture. Right. 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 Because the out, outer culture is constantly shifting. Right. Right. So it's going to affect your internal culture. Right. right. But I think as long as you stay as consistent as possible, right. you can maintain uh, to a large deal, you know, be buffered, I guess, from the outside world to a certain extent. You know, there's no there's no perfection here. But right. Yeah. I think that's something yeah. definitely business owners should strive for. Right. Absolutely. You know, a lot of things that we talk about, <clears throat> especially in our neck of the woods is a business model. Um, you know, we often say, or I do, that it's uh, the heartbeat of the business is to have a business model that connects all different buckets and enables a connection, if you will, to other types of, uh, you know, entities of the business model. Uh, I think one of the key components, in fact, that I usually tell my clients is, you know, key partners should have a connection to revenue streams. Uh, otherwise, why are they a key partner? Right. Uh, when we forget about that, we're, you know, we talk in the restaurant business, even vendors, you know, I I constantly will negotiate with vendors, to try to get a better price. And of course, to get the better price, I have to order more. Um, and then I got to worry about the idea, will it go stale in my freezer or my walk-in? And uh, how do I get it from there to the table and, and yet uh, capitalize on the margins that I've created for myself? Um Many, many challenging things. Um, but when we get into the business model, we kind of get the idea of the core process. I like to think of the core process maybe as a core value chain that comes in from one side of the company and exits the other side of the company, creating all the things I need to have happen to make my business work or to be profitable. I typically will say that it's the E plus E equals P. Efficiency plus effectiveness equals profitability. And, of course, if I'm doing everything effective and efficiently, I should up my production um, and yet be able to supply demand just in time, GIT. So So in looking at some of the things uh, that's inside the business model, how does the business model work for you? You know, um, I think 
in our business, um, getting the customers in is probably our biggest challenge. Uh, but then um, educating them, knowing what we have, and then giving them the best experience in the business model. Like keyword. Um, yeah, ex- absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's something that, um, say, the Eskimo Hut, when people pull through, so many people are just foreign to the idea right. of alcohol to go, even though, I mean... It's been around. Pinkies and Western Beverage both have drive through windows, right? I mean, it's, but it's just different. It's a drink yeah. that is ready to go. Um, so that business model, I think, really um, is dependent upon our staff, to step in, to educate our customers, to give them that great experience, you know, um, have music on, have um, the environment, have the colorful signs, the enticing pictures of the drinks and the jello shots or whatever we have, whatever our specials are. Um, And then communicating that with our vendors, making sure that, you know, we do have the products that our customers want, um, not just what they're trying to sell us. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and paying attention to the the area of town we're in. You know, I mean, right. um, when I was up on Wadley, it, it made a good. difference on the, the product that I carried there versus where I am now. Uh, just a, it's a different product. And as time times change, I mean, when I first opened the Eskimo Hut on Wadley in 2002, I had this great idea that failed. And it was mix and match craft beers by the six pack. Ah. It failed. I had it for two years. Yeah, that does sound good. Though. I didn't sell. Oh, I bet I didn't sell two six packs wow. in two years. Wow. And I had four windows of all these different beers. I kept rotating them, trying to get. It was before its time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. now everybody does it, Every, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can go in right. anywhere, and that's what people are looking for. Everybody wants a craft beer. But I had to. After a couple of years, I was like, I finally woke up one day and I was like, this can be used for better products yeah. products that do move and mm-hmm. i swapped it out so that i think that that realization uh-huh. um helped me and then you know my my vendors tried to tell me you know <laughs> but uh i was ahead of my time so about uh, 10 years yeah about 10 12 years <laughs> that's fine you know but um so finding those you know listening to your vendors not only but then you have to know what your your core goal is as well right. and um, I think if you're bringing something new to the area or things that you've seen in other areas, I think it's uh, important to pay attention to those. But you're right with the efficiency and effectiveness and getting all that out. And, you know, we want to give that customer the great experience when they pull through. So, you know, man, this is great. And they want to make it a, you know, a daily habit to right. just swing by all the time. So, right. you know, it used to be that, you know, we, we treat the customers the way we want to be treated. Uh, that's long gone. Uh, it's more about treating customers the way they want to be treated. And it's really now about a customer experience. Right. Um, it's not just a complaint center. Right. It's the idea that you are creating the experience that they're anticipating to have right. uh, at your establishment. So even some of that is uh, complex because, you know, the biggest variable of any business is people. Right. And uh, when you look at what people want, Uh, There's a huge difference between wants and needs. And I always find that wants sell better than needs. So if I'm listening to the customer, I'm really listening to what their wants and needs are to determine what I really need to have on the shelf. Right. That's Um, great. I don't know how, you know, businesses out in the world today actually operate. And maybe you can shine some light on that customer experience as far as what does it do to enable you to create growth? You know, um... 
I was talking to my manager recently at the Eskimo Hut about just different things that she sees because we've been discussing marketing well forever, but um, more inten- more intensely the past you know two or three weeks and focused in on things and I'm like what are you seeing people do? And she's like they're always on their phone on TikTok. They're always looking at these videos and and we know that mm-hmm. videos are the new yeah. advertising. Right. You know prints going away, even pictures. You know that's they're not as effective anymore. So. Right. Um, Watching technology change and paying attention to what the customers are, are looking at, what they're watching for. Um, we even discussed like, hey, can we let's see if we can find like a, a stay at home mom that comes through all the time. And maybe she wants to do videos for us. Maybe that's a, a good marketing way to give her something to do. Maybe we can throw some cash at her a little bit and let her make a little extra cash. But she's probably sitting at home all day, you know, not doing anything. And maybe she can do something for us. But we pulled through our drive through and. Back when I first opened, drive through was boring. There was nothing on the walls. Now we have TVs with menus everywhere. Technology has just grown so much that yeah. it gives the customer a much better experience in a drive through you, you walk in and there's always movement going on. There's right. something, you know, yeah. and it captures their attention. So I think paying attention to that, finding out what they're really looking for. Um, and then, you know, capitalizing when they when they do see something and they start asking for it, you know, even if we just do a small post and, you know, hey, that really worked, let's turn around and put our focus on that type of advertising. So, so. Yeah, so like um, that's I think that's a missing part, missing element that many business owners overlook as part of their business model, right? The customer right. experience, right? Because right? they're primarily thinking vendors, suppliers, you know, uh, what are my operations? Right. What are my margins? It's all numbers. And, you know, it's all just very, very, uh, what, what is it? Right brain or left brain, whatever the more analytical one is, right? They're, right. they're focused on that. But what about the customer experience? What about that journey, right? That's, that's a whole void that's missing from the business model that most of us don't, you know, go through, but they find out right. going over the years of process and learning Sure. You know, and say, you know, something something's missing here. Right. Okay, let's let's take word look what are the trends? TikTok is trending, you know. So true. Yeah, so that yeah. that's what that's what meet your customers where they're at. Right. I think that's a that's a huge that's a huge uh, what do you call it? Target, you know, it's a, right. You know, and I got to say too, <clears throat> when we talk about the customer experience, it's relevant I think to the, how do you establish customer relationships? Uh, the experience actually introduces the relationship that you need to maybe turn around and capitalize on. As you just mentioned, we have to, um, you know, enable maybe a digital world side of us uh, because that's what they do. You're in their space. And for them to come to your space, you've got to be able to invite them with what they're currently doing. Uh, it's the same way with marketing. We, we just don't market to everybody and anything you really got to look at what channel my customers are on. Are they on TikTok? Are they on Facebook? Uh, are they mostly messaging on the phone? We need the message then if that's the case. Um, it's really to find out the routine of each one of my customers to understand the persona of how we're going to market back to them to bring them back into the establishment. I think the biggest mistake today is that a lot of our marketing isn't really personable. It's just an advertisement slapped on, you know, on a digital platform and says uh, the, the, maybe the call to action is come see us. Um, I always find that there's two parts of marketing, one to create the awareness and one that really creates the action. Uh, do you combine them? Absolutely, when you possibly can. But mind you, you're, you don't want to shoot a shotgun. You want to shoot 
a 30-30 through, through a scope to make sure that that's my target. <clears throat> you know, and a lot of times with businesses that are startups, well, my God, we don't have the money. We can't just throw a thousand flyers in a neighborhood and hope, well, every one of those will call us back. And the chances are you only get two calls back. And then you got to think, what was the labor cost to make all those flyers, put all the ink, all the time that I took, you know, laboring around the neighborhood, passing them out. Um, was the time worth it to get the return? Or do we need to know our customer more and more to ensure that we have the right return on the investment to make the marketing campaign work? So that, too, is a part of our business model because if we don't know our customer it's hard to sell, it's hard to invite, it's hard to retain. And then we wonder, well, what is loyalty? How do we create it? It always starts with marketing. Right. So that brings up something like, so you have two businesses that are, you know, focused on their alcohol. So, right. But they're completely different from each other. They like, are. They couldn't be more different. But they're both really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. So it, you're attracting different de demographics here. They're completely right. different, you yeah. know, and they could, you could even say they're they're competing businesses to uh -huh. a degree, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when when COVID happened and you know the pandemic came along, uh, of course the Blue Door was forced to be closed yeah. Uh, yeah. By, by the governor. Um, but then the Eskimo Hut has its busiest months ever, you know. Yeah. So drive-through alcohol was just fine at that point, you know. Yeah. And people kind of got a rain on how much they were drinking after a few months and said, oh, <laughs> let's get back to normal. <laughs> but Yeah, yeah, but, it's uh, easier to hide it, right, where I don't have to go home and show the wife. I could, <laughs> I'm still at the office, honey. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, no, that, that's uh, definitely a good point to, to hit your target market. Yeah. Um, I think that's... Uh, I think that's probably some of the biggest challenges as business owners is to find that and build that relationship. Right. Because uh, I see that with a lot of businesses that even friends, they open something and um, they think they can just open the business and put a manager or an employee at the front desk or walk away wherever it is and just let them do the right things. And, and you may train them, right? But unless they have that constant and that ownership there to help them, I, I think that's a lost um so I've seen a lot of businesses go out because they don't, the owners don't spend the time developing those customer relationships. Right. And um, I think that's a very, very important part. So, you know, it's the old saying, build it and they'll come. Right. Right. Um, wow. We've really surpassed that, haven't we, in the marketplace? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you really now have got to fish to enable it and then take note who came. Right. So you can fish the same pond again. Um, and I say that because channels are really what drives that. Uh, where is my customer? How do I find them? What do I drive with? And how do I, you know, continue to attract them to come back, come back, come back? Right. Giving them what they want. Exactly. It's not about what I want. Right. Right. Because if it is, I'm not selling nothing. <laughs> um, it's about what the customer wants. Um, and again, the enticement, the curiosity uh, is really in the marketing play. Um, and, and it's really hard too. If you don't have that, it's it's like putting your thumb out and trying to get a, a ride. Uh, trouble is, if I don't know you, I don't trust you. And if I can't trust, then I'm going to go by as fast as I can and not pick you up. Yeah. And that's really the same scenario, if you will, for businesses. If I don't trust you, how do I become a customer? So again, we have to build that every time uh, to keep it continuous. My old saying is is it's like a marriage, right? 
Uh, if I don't keep it fresh, new, and exciting, you know, there's this thing called the seven-year itch. Um, you know, that can be applied to to your customer. Um, Apple's a good component of that, right? Keeping it new, fresh, and exciting. Uh, they always come out something new every year, uh, and it it keeps it uh, to the point where my curiosity is always up to what's next. So uh, the intention is is to make sure that they want to come back for something new that you've developed, different from the last time they were there, to keep their interest attached to what you're doing. That's a great point. It's I like that. Typically, the way marketing actually works is when we're trying to discover and, and understand and putting together that marketing campaign of how we're going to fish them back into from the same pond yeah, or a different channel. Yeah, you got to use a different lure. Absolutely. Different message, mm -hmm. different. You know, it's all about the brand message that creates the brand equity. So, uh, again, that's really important in everything you do. Agreed. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, Cody, uh, that's, the, you know, a lot of your, the marketing and the messaging you're putting out, you know, that's, you discuss, so on the, more of the Eskimo hut, right? You right. have, you know, your, your videos and it's that customer experience. So what's different about the blue door? How do you, how do you draw the people to the blue door? You know, um, my partner, Erica, is in charge of all the marketing and Instagram and videos. And she actually does a great job of being consistent and putting videos on the stories of Instagram. Um, I mean, she's that, that consistency, I think is what is very important. Yeah. Um, and, um, I think dialing in on that customer, just like you said, with that, that same fishing pond and then hitting them with what's relevant to them, uh, and getting them back in the door, um, is, is the important thing. So, um, you know, obviously creating a website, um, you know, getting customers to follow there. So our, the website we have for the Blue Doors, uh, I wouldn't say it's uh, new, but it's it's not 10 years old. It's, it's just a couple of years yeah. old. Yeah. Um, and starting the traffic on that, getting uh, that, that's really helped us uh, recently um, in getting even employee applications or uh, more so booking big parties, you know, party people want to book a little get together, whether it's a birthday party or a company outing or, you know, young professionals and, you know, whatever they, they're booking through the website more because we're more top of mind and they're seeing us uh, yeah. and they're being directed toward a call of action website. So I think that's a, one of the bigger things that the, the blue door does more successfully than the Eskimo hut at this point. Ah, consistency mm. is key. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Like a lot of businesses, you know, they'll be consistent for a while and then draw, you know, nobody's like, who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? Right. And it, it, it affects the bottom line. Right. Yeah. It goes back to what's fresh, new and exciting. Right. right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's always, you know, I, I often find honest to God that, that, you know, your relationship at home is not much different than the relationship with your customers. Um, there's times I'd like to say something that I know better. Um, that's good right. customer service. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and there might be times, too, that I have to negotiate in a way that uh, is really a mutual benefit. Uh, not one outpowers out the other in a play. Right. So, you know, even the communication that you have with one at home or one that's buying from you is uh, there's not a whole lot of difference in it. It's really about the idea that you're trying to create, listen to that word, my wife would be proud of me, trying to create a, a situation where it's uh, comfortable, uh, not loud, and, and, you know, you miss the message. Um, 
but you know, concise to the point. And uh, again, that key word that always pops up in my mind is be consistent with the message. Right. Um, don't don't go away from that. And I think if you do, you go away with really with what the integrity of the company is. Right. So uh, stay focused, uh, stay mutual, uh, stay on point, and uh, maybe. You know, don't sway from who you really are to nail the integrity back where it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, to, to piggyback off the, the correlation with relationship, right, at home, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's what I've heard. You know, want to feel heard and understood, right? So your customer, yeah. they want to feel heard and right. understood, right? Because what you're providing is your attention. Right. And that attention can't be just some uh, random, you know, mix of words to right. uh, you know, to to what they're wanting to get from you, right? right. It has to be very direct and, and uh, intentional, right? With purpose. Sure. Right. So that's what a business is trying to communicate with their customers, so that oh yeah, I hear you, I understand what you want, right? I can provide that, right? You know, I used to be, be the biggest word. I understand. <laughs> I understand. You know, yeah. and my wife will tell me, stop saying. <laughs> I get it. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You know, a couple of things I wanted to know is that you talked about uh, investing and and, and enabling startups, uh, you know, already grounded, if you will, companies. Uh, What's the process of maybe a a, a good company, a bad investment, or something maybe uh, investors are looking for to maybe uh, jump on board? You know, um, as far as like a good investment opportunity, um, investors are coming in looking for someone who's really done their research and knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, if you have some experience behind it, that's even better, of course, you know. But um, I think knowing, having all your information out there for them so they can really make sure that you know your information. Um, of course, numbers. Um, and all my investors are looking and, and lenders are looking for businesses that are willing to put in some of their own skin in the game, right? So um, generally 20, 25% of the total um, project should be already acquired, um, you know, and it's not, it does make it hard for startups, you know, yeah, some, some people who are just trying to, they've got a cool idea, but you know, they've only got, you know, 20 grand in the bank and savings or whatever, then it makes it, it makes it hard. I'm not going to say it's, it's an easy thing to do, but um, going after that, making sure the numbers are right and that make sure it fits, make sure the, the return on investment not only makes sense for the investor, but it makes sense for the person running the business. Absolutely. Um, right. Yeah. And, and so many times um, I've, I've had quite a few um, business plans put out there and the owner of the business doesn't have a paycheck in them in there for themselves. Right. And, and lenders are like, no, you need to make money off this. We need you to stay motivated. We need you. And they're like, well, I'll just take the profits at the end. Like, no, you need a paycheck in there too. So, um, those, those types of things are really important. Um, every good lender, uh, wants to make sure it's a great viable business. Mm. Um, and then, you know, and, and looking at it, I mean, watch Shark Tank all the time, right? And all these <laughs> yeah. things really look cool and, yeah. and they're fun. But um, the, the thing you notice on Shark Tank right off of that, um, and we'll watch a couple episodes, they, they really don't invest in the projects 
themselves, they invest in the people, right? right? And it's, they're always like, hey, tell me your story. How'd you get here? What'd you do? How mm-hmm. much did you have in this? And mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't even have to be that much money they put into it, but the time and their heart and their soul into it. And, and that's where the, that's, those are the types of things that you can look at, um, you know, the, the lenders look at. And they're like, okay, well, um, most of them are like, hey, I can, I can do a, a C-class um, yeah customer, the one that, you know, has a 575 credit score, that's horrible. But you know, as far as a, a bank would say, you know, but these guys are like, what's your story? You know, yeah. tell me your story. This, what's your experience? Are you just, are you somebody who's been working for somebody for 20 years and now you want to do your own thing and this is how you're going to do it? Because right. if you've got that experience and you've got it, then they'll jump on that and they'll help out. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there. The bad ones are just the opposite, of course, you know, you know, walk in with <laughs> some fun idea, but you've got an attitude and, you know, um, th- those types of things are the ones they kind of stay away from. But, um, you know, lenders are really looking to get their hands in things. And um, it's it's pretty crazy in my mind that some some projects, um, you've got to have like a, 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 two, a 2x return on money yeah. um, for it to be appealing to some investors. And when you start getting into some of these bigger deals, um, it's kind of crazy to me, you know, like, they're like, I'll give you 10 million, but I want 20 million back in four years. Right. And like, how do you do that? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. But, but there are projects out there that do that. So, uh, and that they've become accustomed to it and that's why they can demand it. So, um, but yeah. you know, the, some of the smaller projects, I mean, I've got lenders that work for anywhere from 2000 to 50,000. I've got one lender, he works from a hundred million to 500 million. And that that's his sweet spot in the two to $300 million <laughs> loan range. So, um, and everywhere in between. Right. So, right. You know, um, equipment. Uh, I, I have been finding some struggles with the oil and gas industry uh, with smaller equipment and trailers mm-hmm. and things of that nature, um, equipment side of things, because they they're not in one stable place all the time. So, you know, if you go park a trailer next to an oil rig for, you know, even a month or two. Uh, the lenders want to know how they can get that equipment back if someone ever defaults and, and getting on somebody else's land with mineral rights and, you know, all those things, it yeah. becomes a headache. So those things are a little di- a little more difficult. But the bigger the equipment, the more the dollar amount, the more they're willing to lend out to on, on it. So pretty interesting. Yeah, the, the no trusting, trespassing sign, I think, uh, is enough now on the oil field side. Right. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, we, we often see uh, clients that come in, you know, anywhere from, you know, 2500 um, maybe all the way up to how much is a restaurant that we're looking at? Um, I think total, that's four or five million. Four or five million. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm trying to put out there is that the lending range mm-hmm. is, uh, well, it's just huge. There's no really in between slot sweet spot for to say that this is really the the uh, area of concentration um of course the the size of business uh, and you know what they're trying to do <clears throat> i think what we're finding really hard times with right now back to the oil right is uh, supply um people that are starting up a supply company of some sort um there's too many variables right. to consider and um you know, equipment loans is one thing, a line of credit's another, but uh, to try to get an SBA uh, 504, it's like, you know, and wrapped everything you got up to the asset right. uh, to cover the uh, deficit is almost unbelievable what they're asking for today. Not to mention the time it takes to get the loan. Right. 
No, it's very difficult. You're right. And I've, I've worked with a couple of those and they, it's like a document, like just please give me more, give me more. Mm-hmm. Go I get want this. you to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Go get this insurance policy to make sure we, we're yeah. covered on this. Go, you know, we, we want a due diligence fee of, you know, 10 grand to come out and do an appraisal right there on the spot. You know what I mean? That too. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of different things and it's, it's, it is really difficult, you know, and I, I look at, I think one of the biggest education things for business owners is to not get so wrapped up in interest rates. Um, we've been conditioned as home buyers mainly that interest rates are the devil. And, you know, and like, look at your credit card. You know, nobody wants to pay 20, 21% interest rate on a non-producing or non-income producing yeah. debt, right? So, but as business owners, sometimes you have to look at that opportunity. I had a, a guy one time look, call me up and was like, hey, I need to buy this $40,000 piece of equipment to do this job. And I was like, okay. I looked at it, I was like, how long have you been in business? What kind of volume are you doing? So we went through all of that. He, he got a horrible rate back. I was like, Here, here's the rate. It's gonna be 9% a month. And I was like, that's crazy. And I was like, he was like, I can't do that. That's insane. Why would I do that? And I was like, let me ask you about your job. You know, what, what are you buying this equipment for? He goes, so I've got this job next month. If I can get this, I can, the whole project will cost, I, I can sell it for 120000 I said, so you quadruple your money on the equipment. Yeah. And he was like, right. And I was like, you only need the loan for like two months, right? And he was like, right. I was like, who cares if it's 9%? It could be 100%. Yeah. You're still going to make $80,000. It's okay. I mean, yeah. so yeah. forget about the interest rate. It was absurd. Nobody in their right mind. But this is an income-producing loan, right? Like he's going to buy equipment. It's going to produce income for him. And he's going to make money. He's going to own it free and clear after that anyway because right. he made his money back. So who cares? And so you're adding an asset to your, your, your uh, Right, your to your balance sheet. That's right. Absolutely. So I, th- I think that education, you know, is really important. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why it's hard with the, like, to go to like, say, John Deere. Of course, they have their own financing company themselves. But, you know, some of these other companies, they, they want a backup lender, but they want a rate sheet out there on how much the interest rates are going to be. Interest rates are going to be scary. I don't want to put that out in front of anybody because, you know, it's yeah. because it's yeah. because but then some some people understand it. They walk in and go, if I buy this tractor, I can produce a, this much product and I can make so much money that it doesn't matter. That's and and they don't realize that the interest rate doesn't matter in, in comparisons to the income that you're going to make. Exactly. Um, well, a lot of people need to know that. Um I hope that you listen to this pod, pod, uh, podcast. Um, yeah, that's really interesting that uh, people just don't understand that. We just had a conversation here not too long ago about the multiple types of loans right. you can get as a business. And some of them didn't even know that, well, I can get a paycheck loan. I can get equipment loan. I can get a line of credit loan. Um, all these different types of lending capabilities that you can actually put out there on the table Right. A lot of them don't know that that even exists. Right. And uh, we've had a couple of those in here to, and they go, what? That's available? <laughs> right, right. You know, um, one that I wasn't even very familiar with, but I knew it existed. I just didn't know much about it are bridge loans, right? Bridge loans, I mean, they sound pretty simple, you know, but uh, a lot of companies, bridge loans are, are meant to be enacted super quick. You know, hey, I need this loan next week. Right. I need 
$2 million next week. And those bridge loans are pretty expensive, right? Because they don't get to do all the due diligence that they would like to do, but that gets you in the door. It gets you that opportunity to make that money. And as soon as that bridge, you get the money for the bridge loan, you can go out and get the proper loan, an SBA loan that may take you three or four months to get approved for and go through it all. But at least you have that opportunity to get that business started with that bridge loan to get you started. And it might be a little expensive, but at least you're there and you're up and running. So Right. Yeah. And you can take that and put it into the SBA. Absolutely. The SBA um, will pay that bridge loan off. No yeah. problem. So, yeah. So, that's and great. again, yeah. that's something a lot of people just yeah. don't know. Great to know. Yeah. yeah. It's because uh, you're balancing the, the value to the cost of capital. Right. And Absolutely. That that value and that opportunity is there. Cost of capital is, is that's a given. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um, you know, the other couple of things that I wanted to hit on in this podcast was uh, what kind of information would you give to startups uh, and to enable them, I guess, to be uh, – in the market long, for a long period of time, long term, um, what are some of the key components that you believe are so important to that? Um, I think really taking a hard look at yourself, yeah. um, figuring out what your strengths are, uh, recognizing what your weaknesses are, um, not being afraid to admit it, going out there and... Man, and finding the other people to help you run the business for for the weaknesses. Uh, so yeah, finding that right team. Um, early on, back in my management at Outback days, um, one of my uh, joint venture partners handed me a, a small little book and was like, "Hey, this is a good management type book." And it's the One Minute Manager. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yeah. Super easy, real little book. I have all my managers read it. Um, not because. Um, it's like a Bible of anything, but right. it's very good knowledge. And it's uh, it's a, I reread it every two or three years just because it's, um, it kind of helps you go back to basics. It helps you okay. realize, hey, treat people how you want to be treated and uh, especially your team, right? right? Your management and figuring out what the people like and communication because I can teach anybody how to make a daiquiri or cocktail, um, but I can't teach anybody how to understand other people. Um, you know, you have to figure it out. People are the hard part, right? I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter what the business is. You've got, to, you've got to learn your people and how to treat them and your customers and how to get them in the door. And if you, do, if you can do those things, I think you're, you're on the right track and um, you'll have a successful business. Yeah, Michael says it all the time. The 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 greatest variable mm -hmm. in any of this is people. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, book a book works. It sets the foundation. Mm -hmm. That's all I got to say about mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when you wind up being in the market mm -hmm. and you're you're talking to a man here that's been in the market, um, you'll find that no matter what you do, it doesn't really matter unless you have buy-in from your customer. Mm -hmm. So the book works for a foundation, but it's the experience that puts together the customer and the owner to make something work. So uh, I will always toot my horn on that one. Uh, many a times I've had to step back and look at that. Right. It's not about me, right? It's about what I can do for my customer. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? No, this has been great. Lots of fun. I yeah. really appreciate it. Um, happy to answer questions. I've, you know, not so. Yeah. I got to say, uh, you know, you were really one of my picks from last year that I wanted you to come in here. Um, I know a little bit about your background and who you are, what you've done. Uh, and to me, you've got an amazing story. Um, 
for a guy that went from a restaurant to really owning two different companies, being involved in, in venture <laughs> capabilities, um, you just don't hear somebody with that type of, uh, I must just say, the magnitude of experience putting it together and making it a business. Mm -hmm. um, I preach this a lot where it's easy to have a business, but it's even more important if you have a background of business um, that you can portray. Right. Um, and uh, I just got to say, I'm, I'm really thankful of uh, you being in here today, being a part of our podcast. I feel honored, to be honest, mm -hmm. um, to have a guy of your uh, statue. So I just want to say first, uh, thank you for being here with us. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I've That's enjoyed been great, it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So before you leave, mm, sure. uh, why don't you tell everybody how they can uh, get a hold of your business? It's fine. Where do they find uh, you at? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Instagram for Eskimo Hut Midland uh, and The Blue Door. Um, pretty easy to find there. Uh, newanglecapital.net. Uh, is my website for the finance company and there's a form on there to fill out if you have questions and just want to talk about anything um, then I've got uh, two phone numbers uh, Eskimo Hut and Blue Door 432-349-5099 uh, and then uh, New Angle Capitals 432-741-2995 so easy enough yeah right. awesome <laughs> Well, then I'm going to go ahead and close and head on over to the blue door. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Wait. Hey, yeah, yeah. it's Somewhere. That's right. Uh, let me just say, if you haven't been to the blue door of the Eskimo, you are truly missing out. You've got to get that on your uh, schedule uh, to drive by on the way home, pick up what you need at the Eskimo. Um, if you want a nice uh, evening, get away from the stress. My God, if you're not at the blue door, you're missing out. Cool. Well, uh, appreciate it for sure, Cody. And uh, man, we'd love to have you back on some. Yeah. Sounds Absolutely. great. Thanks for having me. All right. Awesome. 